Get ready for a mind-expanding journey with my next guest on Good Dudes Grow podcast, a leading expert in psilocybin mushrooms and their impact on physiology, biology, and social development. He will be sharing his insights and research on the topic. Tune in and hear about the latest trends and breakthroughs in the field of psychedelic evolution and learn from one of the best in the field. Don't miss this opportunity to expand your understanding and knowledge of the world of psychedelics. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Good News Grow 2.0. On the Good News Grow 2.0, we're here to let you know the importance of plant-based medicine and psychedelics on mental and physical health. We're bringing you stories of how these medicines have changed lives and can save lives. We want to teach you the healing power of plant-based medicine. This is the Good News Grow 2.0. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Good Dudes Grow Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Roberts. Today, we're going to dive into the world of psychedelic evolution. Today, I'm excited about my guest. He's a leading expert in the psilocybin mushrooms and their impact on on uh, psychology, biology, and social development. He's completed his dissertation on psychedelics in the philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. He has a book out. It was written back in 2000, 2022 called The Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and the Evolution of the Planet. I'm excited. Dr. Nahan, thank you for coming. Uh, like we had a little conversation before, for everybody knows, uh, I will not try to pronounce your, your last name. If you want to give it, please, please do so they can actually research your book. But uh, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, uh, last name's Khamsa Zade, and the book's titled The Psilocybin Connection. I am really happy to be here. Thank you, Gary. Oh, I'm sorry I screwed the whole beginning up. You know what? You know, it's things happen. <laughs> for, the, first of all, I ask everybody else, especially gets involved in psychedelics, how did you get started in the industry? What what brought you to it and what what past drove you to this this to where you are now? Yeah, I had a life-changing uh, psilocybin experience at 18, and it really kind of uh, directed uh, the flow of my life. I decided to study consciousness. From 18 to 38, I was mostly in higher academia, focusing on that topic. And more and more, I realized it's the most transformative method I've come across. It's deeply healing, and it's very mysterious. So it keeps my interest going. Um, several years ago, I decided to go all in and get trained and holding space now hold uh, psilocybin ceremonies legally in Jamaica with Altman retreats. Uh, I felt it's what humanity could benefit with the most. And so I dedicated also my research and my doctoral program to do it, you know, came out as a book. And, and I mean this literally, I don't know of a more fascinating topic. The idea that you could take something and it rearranges the way you perceive reality, your experience of yourself, the world leads to just such deeply incremental just growth and awareness. You know, it's kind of astounding. I think it's like an anomaly in our paradigm. And so that really took my focus. Interesting, interesting. So were you, how can I say this? So like you said, you're in academia, you're, you're always studying, but did, did it, well, after that first trial, that's what fascinated you, so it drove you straight to that? Or did you still kind of like investigate it as you were going on saying, this is interesting, you know, I'm not sure, but I kind of want to see what it's all about. Or did it one that once one and done and says, I've got to figure out more what the, what the, what is this all about? Because this just was yeah. incredible. I was really interested before I ever took psychedelics. I mean, my first mushroom trip was at 15. And the idea I could take something and it changed my perception of reality. I was in a very kind of existential place. Um, 
astounded me. It made me kind of question, like, how do we know what reality is if we can contort our perception just simply by a comp chemical compound? So the inquiry was already there. Um, I just really saw the potential of how quickly things can transform and change at 18. I kept using psychedelics, but at the time, there was no professional path forward. Uh, research was largely illegal. This is in 2002. So I went in for neuroscience and three years doing physics, then back to philosophy. And, and during this time, psilocybin really directed me what to study and what to do on. Um, because I saw no actual security in it and there was no plug and play profession, it's not like I could have majored on psychedelics at the time, or I would have, I kind of just kind of kept following my interests and studying everything around it while still studying it, but it just didn't seem like an occupation. And a few years ago, I was just like, this is it. Like, it's the most real thing I've experienced in terms of like, it's the most meaningful thing. And sometimes I could say the most effective thing when it comes to healing and growth. Um, strangely, as I kept with it, there was more and more job security. Right now, it's just such a growing topic. It's being taught in so many universities. It wasn't when I was studying it. There's so many training programs. It's the future of therapy. And I mean that in a very literal way. Nothing's as effective. So kind of just really kind of trusting and following that path that kind of flowered into meeting so many of the needs that uh, I don't think would have been met in any other occupation for me. Now, I had, I had another individual who, who, who studied it and kind of went really into it, went into Asia and kind of followed stuff. And he talked about the spirituality of it. And you, you kind of like touched on it. And I wanted a little bit when he says you, you felt the meaning when you, you were on psilocybin. That's the spirituality that most people talk about. It's, it's the meaning of how you combine yourself with the plant. It's not like all of a sudden, mm. you know, you take psilocybin and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you run the Jesus, but it, it, it basically gives you that, this plant is something out of this world and you want to try and be more connected to it. Am I, am I correct? No, it's a great way of contextualizing it. I mean, there's so many amazing say uses uh, for this plant. You know, it has incredible effects when it comes to healing, uh, when addiction, with creativity, all around it enhances performance. But the most interesting for me by far has been the spirituality. It has been the most meaningful. I was an atheist and depressed and suicidal before psilocybin. And it kind of awakens you to this deep interconnected living worldview. Kind of brings back this paradigm in human history known as animism, that everything's alive and spiritually connected. And it not only it kind of, I know you said it makes it seem like out of this world, what it does is it makes you see this very world differently. So your relationship to the planet changes, your relationship to humanity changes, your relationship to the future changes, to the cosmos, to God. And for many people, they might not have these relationships. A lot of people don't have a conscious, intentional relationship to the planet or to humanity or to the universe or to the divine. But these things give you lived experiences of those realities. And then you, they become a part of your daily life, you know, for many of us. It's weird you say that because you say that, and it's not that a lot of people, you know, don't have that, but they never really thought of it. That you know the spiritual of the divine of the earth of 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 being connected to the plants to nature they never really thought of it and kind of like what you're saying is the philosophy itself brings that out in somebody that's there but they never really consciously thought about it and it brings the subconscious out so they have the understand more understanding of that am I getting that kind of what you just said no, kind it's of a correct? good way to say you know um and we, all, we all we all know we all know we have something like that. Yeah. You know, we, we all know there's something there. We all want to be a better person. We all yeah. want to care about the earth more. We want to care. And all of a sudden, this would actually 
enable us to be more in touch with those feelings that we don't have that often. No, well said. You know, I think it makes in many ways the unconscious conscious, you know, so these are things that are like you're already, you could say a spirit. Another way I could say that is like you're deeply embedded in this interconnected consciousness. It's just you're born into it. Um, you're always connected and deeply a part of the planets and the ecosystem and the universe. It's just normally unconscious and it's not intentional. And this part kind of just wakes up some kind of awareness, potentially within consciousness itself, that makes you want to grow and seek more. You know, and so there's a tremendous spike for many people in accelerated personal growth once they enter psychedelics. You know, there's been a lot of work done in showing how the movement in the 60s towards Eastern philosophy and spiritual practices like meditation and yoga was catalyzed many times by people's psychedelic experiences. It made them realize there's more and then they went to seek it in other methods. So, yes, it's like it's already a part of us. We're just unconscious of this part of our being. Right. Amazing. So during your research, ex try and explain a little bit more about your research on psilocybin mushrooms and their effects on mental health. Mm. Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, there's not a part of the research that is not utterly fascinating, but the part that really took the biggest interest with me was um, this idea put forward by Terrence and Dennis McKenna that it was a symbiotic relationship with psilocybin mushrooms that actually first catalyzed the emergence of humanity, of human consciousness, a spurred brain growth that gave us language and deep empathy and artistic abilities. And there's over 200 different psilocybin mushrooms around the world. Um, found in every continent but Antarctica. They grow in the Africa savannas where evolved. Uh, there's many primates that eat mushrooms. And so the idea is that our you know, primate relatives over the course of millions of years and then increasingly over the last few hundred thousand years, we're taking psilocybin mushrooms. And as studies now show um, over the last 20 years in, in clinical research, 20, 65% of people that have a high dose in a regular good set and setting have a mystical experience. We see that it helps 80% of the time with alcoholism, with nicotine addiction, with treatment-resistant depression, with near-event-of-life anxiety, right? So, so we see these same results over and over. So these would have had very similar results for our ancestors. Like, it would have been very beneficial to their society and to their tribe. We actually see archaeological evidence of cave paintings showing mushroom use all around the world, especially once we get to the Americas, but it's still there in Africa. So... It has deep impact on mental health, but the idea is I feel that we lost touch that that was already happening within humanity. And we're just coming back now um, intentionally and consciously into this relationship again collectively. Yeah, I want, I want to touch on a few things. The set and setting is extremely important when you take some sort of a psychedelic mm -hmm. or, or philosophical mushroom coming from the background of a firefighter who mm. maybe, you know, we, we deal with a lot, a lot of. PTSD and issues, uh, especially alcoholism. We go to a lot of, uh, you know, chemicals to actually help us sleep and overcome things, you know, and then at the end of our careers after that, we may have higher than normal rate of suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. So just taking, and it's what scares me about when people say, you know, we'll just criminalize and everybody can just start popping mushrooms and everything else. If you don't have that A intentionally, B the set and setting to actually be in so you can actually get the better uh, get the best, how can I say it? The, the best reaction of taking the, this type of medication. It's extremely important to have that set and setting. So it puts you in the right form of mind. So it puts you in the right form of intention so that you don't go where you're not supposed to. Am, am I, am I correct? Is that? No, no. Well, set, um, uh, the set and setting, the whole idea around who you're with and where you're taking it is foundational. You know, uh, it'll, dictate or influence your journey more than anything. 
the truth is psilocybin and other psychedelics can put you in a very vulnerable state, a vulnerable emotionally, physically, um, intellectually, like your heart could be raw open. You can move into a very kind of child state of mind. You're might lack coordination, right? So either if there's actually, you're a place in physical dangers or you're in a place where you're really emotionally open, but you don't feel safe with the people around you, that can have quite an impact. It can be very traumatic. So just like anything in life, if you create a good situation and context for somebody, they tend to develop really well and there's a great opportunity for healing. And that's really important here when, when people are in very sensitive spaces. Um, and there's so many ways that set setting can look. Some people, it's recreational, meaning they might take it at a festival where there's already a large collective container. Um, probably the most useful is a one-to-one -one therapeutic situation where you're with a guide or therapist that's very skilled in this and you're focusing for six hours on doing deep work. There's a ceremonial aspect that's more like uh, historical and in indigenous or maybe 12, 20 people, whatever number, it's, it's, it's a container that's collective, that's normally led by a shaman, but now it can be led by therapists or another guide. And that has its own sense of healing because it can heal a deep sense of belonging or fracturedness. But I have not come across something that's even better for PTSD and trauma work. Trauma being some part of us is stuck in the past and isolated because something very difficult happened in a part of us associated. And what it does is it allow that part of us to come back into our being, to digest the experience, and integrate this part of us that we had been uh, closed off to. On that point, what what are the uh, the potential therapeutic benefits of using something like psilocybin compared to the traditional antidepressants? <laughs> Night and day. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so many of the people I work with, I mean, well over half have been on SSRIs and antidepressants for a very long time. And yes, they can be useful at times, meaning if somebody's like completely suicidal at this moment, doing a quick chemical change can help stabilize them. That being said, I've seen way too many people that have been antidepressants for 20 years. And they seem to be more like numbing agents. And so people don't actually grow, develop, or heal. But numbing is at sometimes important, right? If you're in a too intense pain and it's unbearable, like if you're going to get under surgery, it's right to be under an anesthetic. It's just way too much for the psyche and, and the person to hold. That being said, psilocybin can get to the root of the trauma or people actually digest the experience that they've kind of pushed away or repressed. Um, a lot of the people, once they come to psilocybin, they, they can let go of the SSRI. So a lot of the clinical studies were on treatment-resistant depression, meaning people probably about two decades have done the SSRIs, they've done other forms of therapy, and they can't heal. 80% of that population heals, right? So for other people that aren't to that high degree of, of depression, it's even more effective. You know, so it actually works at changing the core of the problem as opposed to just numbing and taking care of some of the symptoms. I agree with you 100% on that because a, a lot of the times, it's kind of like, I, I think of sometimes taking psychedelics for like PTSD or, or, or mental health issues, kind of like the same thing as taking like CBD for, for pain. It, it's, you're not taking an NSAID to numb it, but you're taking a CBD to actually get the root cause, to lower the inflammation that's causing the pain and so forth, instead of just numbing it. So basically what you're saying is psychedelics does that the mental internally, the mental with the mind. It doesn't cover what's going on. It goes deeply to find out what is wrong. Let's reorganize what's going on, figure it out, and let's work together to actually get it better so that we don't have it at the end. Totally 100. It restructures the system so that it's like a, 
a solid healing. You know, it's stuff I'm not just putting on the band-aid. And sometimes we need band-aids, you know, but this is getting to the root of the issue that heals the entire emotional, uh, cognitive, spiritual part of the system. And it's not a guarantee, you know. I've seen it myself be about 90% effective. So just like any treatment or medicine, nothing's 100% effective out there. There's no medicine that's 100% effective for the population. But 90% is pretty high. You know, so other people might require different psychedelics or they might require different forms of treatment and maybe down the line psychedelics is useful. So I'm just saying this because uh, sometimes the hardest part of this field is dealing with people's disappointment because they hear all this amazing research and they come in really stoked and high. And, you know, some people I've worked with, they're on the edge or like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. I've done everything. This is the end of the line. And they put so much on this. A lot of the times it works for them. But some of the hardest times is. I thought this was it. I thought I was finally going to be free of my pain and it's still there. And they just might really need another kind of method, you know, to, to, right. to work towards healing. That's what I wish a lot of, a lot more of this research would actually come out and describe, describe the fact is let's stop creating uh, the false analogy that all these psychedelics are the, the, the one time pill to fixing everybody's issues and we're all good. Let's make them understand that. Yes. Like you said, they work 90% of the time. Um, psilocybin may not be the best bet. Ayahuasca may be your choice. MDMA may be a better one. And so forth and so forth. We have to figure, we have to figure that out. And I'm sure we're going to figure more of that out with more clinical trials and more, more testing to find out which one works best for what. But we need to talk a little bit more about what happens if it doesn't work? If it doesn't work, it doesn't mean that psychedelics are bad. It's just that it's the same thing with the RSIs. Some people, it works. Some people, it don't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you might need to try again, you know? I mean, it's a big pressure to just try something once and expect it to work once, right? You don't right. show up to just therapy once. And so as the FDA begins to roll out protocols for like MDMA, for example, which is in about maybe two years or so, maybe this year we'll get approval, but it's going to be three treatments are included. You do MDMA three times with PrEP and integrations, and that seems to be about 80% effective. And so... Just like anything else, like don't give up after one shot, right? I mean, it's 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 more promising than all the other things. Uh, that being said, it's nothing is guaranteed in the sense of like it's there's we don't know the future. We can't control things to that amount. Yeah. What what are your thoughts on microdosing with psilocybin? It's probably one of the best places to start. It helps build the relationship. So much of the difficulty of working with psychedelics is the fear people come in with and the stigma. And there's pretty much almost no downsides with um, microdosing. James Fadiman, who really kind of coined the term and made it very large out there, has been doing underground studies for a long time, doing like a lot of questionnaires and research on it. And he found it works for about 90% of people. And there's about 10% of people that actually feel an increase in anxiety for whatever reason. Maybe the anxiety is coming up to be worked with, you know, but it's uncomfortable. Um, but that's a very low-level cost for trying something that might be very effective is feeling anxiety for a few hours. You know, if it works, wow. Right. So um, it's a very safe way for people to get used to the substances. It's great for maintenance. It doesn't do the same as the deep psychedelic work of taking like five grams with a guide and so on and going through your life trauma and restructuring things. But it helps stabilize a person. I've seen it help a lot of people get them out of depression, motivate them, get into working out, eating healthy, and being better in their relationships. Right, exactly. Talk, talk a little bit about the culture and the historical significant significance of psychedelics, particularly in regards to the uh, psilocybin. Yeah, I mean, as 
a lot of my research focused on that you can see to quite an extent in the book is the idea that that relationship started, if not millions of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And there's a lot of evidence of why that would be the case. Um, it probably grew out of phase with humanity as we move towards the agricultural revolution. You know, about 10 to 12,000 years ago, we began growing our own food and stopped foraging for food. Um, psilocybin mushrooms themselves grow in spores or microscopic. It took us a long time to figure out how to grow them. It's only since the 1970s that, thanks to Terrence and Dennis McKenna, that we actually had a game plan of how to cultivate psilocybin mushrooms itself. Uh, that being said, there's, there's a lot of religious texts like the Rig Vedas going back a few thousand years and the Egyptians and the Greeks that specifically point out a lot of different psychedelic use. So it's there as a part of human history. And once you come to the Americas, it was huge. You know, so it seems about 60 million people inhabited the Americas um, up to like 500 years ago before the Europeans came. Right. And even the Europeans and the clergy wrote of the extensive psilocybin use throughout the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Toltecs, and there's a lot of relics that were left. And once the Europeans came, they were very against it, and they were kind of ordered the largest kind of ethnocide in human history, changing the language of the continents, stopping the rituals, breaking a lot of the temples, but that was still a deep part of the indigenous culture for two entire continents that had been using this. The Mazatecs continue to survive. Um, they're up in, uh, the mountains of Oaxaca, specifically the kind of center is Huatla de Jemenez. I was able to go there a few years ago to kind of train and learn from them. And it's because of that specific culture that we have awareness of psilocybin mushrooms. In 1955, the J.P. Morgan banker, his name was Gordon Wass, and was really interested that these people had a prayer or ritual use of psilocybin to connect spiritually. So he flew down there with a photographer, tried the mushrooms with Maria Sabina, a, a, a Mazatec curandera. And in 1957, published his report in Life magazine. And that was the first time culture at large, the mainstream, became aware of psychedelics. And that spurred an entire movement. Timothy Leary, then uh, the doctorate psychologist at Harvard, went down to Mexico to try them, brought them back to Harvard, and started the Harvard Psilocybin Studies, later moved to LSD. It kind of really launched what we knew as like the hippie movement. You know, first psilocybin came in and people really wanted to try it, but it's harder to access. You know, we didn't know how to grow it. A lot of people are going to Mexico. It takes like six weeks at minimum to grow it. And then LSD came in. That's very similar. It's the same chemical family. LSDs also grows from a type of fungus. It's called an ergot. And it was easier to make and mass produce. And that took over culture. And that really scared. So um, the population, Michael Pollan, the great, he's a, wrote the bestseller, How to Change Your Mind. He says, at what other point in human history did the youth have such a searing rite of passage that the prior generation didn't understand. So all the youth is doing psychedelics, it scared the adults, understandably so, and they quickly moved to illegalize all the psychedelics. You know, by 1967, by 1970, it was completely gone. And then we've, we lost tremendously over the last few decades, humanity, and we're finally coming back into the resurgence. Amazing, amazing. With that said, how do you now envision the integration of psychedelics into mainstream medicine and society in the future? You know, it's, it's super exciting and honored. I was part of a, what I hold is a really special meeting last night about the merging of technology and psychedelic psychotherapy. So there's been a group called USONA that's been leading uh, the front forward on psilocybin legalization medically. So it's Compass and USONA are the large two companies that have been working towards FDA trials. Um, some of their team, including the founder, flew out to the Bay Area, uh, met with a friend's company who owns um, this lighting ambience company, like high-end 
cutting edge lighting fixtures that you can program. And so USONA, because they're going to be one of the first to have psilocybin therapy legalized, are trying to see how we can move this kind of therapy forward by making large LED structures and large lighting and projection mapping all over the room and in domes to create a deeper psychedelic experience. You know, so you could possibly now be, so this is, again, this is just signed the contract. It's, it's going to be rolling out in the near future. But imagine being in a group therapy room and looking up and then you're moving through the galaxies and through the stars and seeing human evolution or a deep ambient sound. And then you're having like these crystallized, crystalline lighting fixtures coming down from the ceiling and then changing form and 3D kind of images moving through them, you know, to kind of stimulate deeper experiences, a deeper sense of beauty, a sense of the sacred. And so this is, they're, they're, they're forming a new model of what this can look like since they'll be one of the first. Um, but because it's so effective, I'm pretty sure, I can't see it otherwise, that there's going to be a psychedelic therapy center in every city, in every town, if not multiple. It is so much more effective than regular therapy. I love regular therapy, but this goes much deeper than talking. So the hardest part right now, aside from legalization, is getting enough trained people. There's a lot of people that already want to open the businesses and start the centers, so that, that'll happen. The money will be there. But within five years, it can really begin to integrate into society in a deep way, in a very local level. Like Every city will probably have a center. And that'll move throughout the world. So in 10 years, it's going to be much part of our normal lives. The cool thing, I think you see the same thing that I see. I, I see more wellness centers and not clinics creating the, these, these type of, of sessions and psychedelic uh, journeys. Because like you said, again, that goes back to the set and setting. And I think the fact that we're encompassing the whole holistic uh, of a nutritional wellness kind of mixture with the, you know, the mind, body, soul kind of thing as one and not just putting somebody into like a, a medical room, you know, where they feel they're, they're, they got to wear like a straight jacket and they're going to bounce off the walls or something. So I think you see this, is that correct? You see the same thing? You see more centers popping up instead of there's still have some medical oversight, of course, but you know, these centers will actually be on the forefront of, of providing these type of treatments. Yeah, you know, the, the medicines by themselves are fairly holistic and they kind of catalyze a holistic way of thought. Holistic meaning a sense of wholeness and that everything's interconnected in a part of the system. And so this kind of paradigm and thinking that reduces everything just to chemicals and just the, the more conventional medical model, of just take a pill and things will work, doesn't work. It's not reality, right? So this is really integrating the therapy part, the community part, the entire health of the body along with the neuroscience the spiritually aspect, because it kind of comes up by itself for a lot of people in it. You know, a lot of people like me weren't spiritual. And then all of a sudden, it becomes like the focus of your life, right? And it's not spiritual in a religious way. It's just this, that sense of expanded awareness and awe that kind of changes the way you interact with reality. So more and more, it'll bring in massage. It'll bring in, you know, just cultivating more intellectual growth. Like, there's going to be so many elements integrating because the psilocybin itself, like the other you know, psychedelics, really, I'd say the key insight is realizing that everything's interconnected. So the more we include, the more we're going to get out of this. Incredible, incredible. You say you run, you, you run a retreat out in Jamaica. If people want to know a little yeah. bit more about you, how to follow you and how to contact you, where would they do that? Yeah, it's Optimon Retreats. Um, I'll be going out in March. I think nine days, we'll be leading two different groups. Been doing it five years. We're the second retreat group out there. It's been amazing. Um, our ratings are like nine out of 10. It's been a great Jamaican food. We're in a private resort on the beach. And the hope was to create legal and safe access for this. You know, um, there's more and more centers opening up, but at the time there weren't that many. 
you know, and there's a lot of people that they don't want to break the law. It's a, it's a moral issue and it's a safety issue. So this at least gives a space for people around the world to show up and try this medicine in a very safe way. Websites also, it's a psychedelicevolution.org, and I have a lot of different material on there, more talks, research, you know, different references where people can continue to learn more about this topic. Perfect. Great. I appreciate you taking time out of your day, coming to my show, educating me and educating my listeners. Dude, it's such a good time to spend time with you. I love the questions. I love the flow. I love the conversation. So do I. It was great. It was great meeting. We're definitely going to have to stay in touch. I'd love that, man. I'll, I'll be here. If you're still listening to this, that means you gained some type of value. So what we need you to do is leave a review and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode of The Good Dude Grow.